Seven pounds, two ounces A baby boy was born Teddy bears are waiting to be loved A father smiling proudly He's been waiting for a son He's thankful for his blessings from above Father's love. Could you give your only son to set the captive free? Could you watch him die upon a rugged tree? Could you turn and walk away, forsake the one you
Thank you for joining us this evening, this Christmas Eve evening for our time of worship. We welcome you as we pause to celebrate the absolute greatest gift that has ever been given. It's the gift of God's Son to the world. Christmas is this time of celebration, a celebration of the story of Jesus, the greatest story that's ever been told. All of that is almost cliche these days. We know that to be true, this true account of God becoming man and dwelling as one of us. Just let that sink in just for a moment. God, having skin and blood and hair, supported by muscle and Bone, stepping into humanity, breathing, eating, drinking, and sleeping, just like we do. Christ has come. The Messiah has been born. Just as it was prophesied some 700 years ago by the prophet Isaiah, when he wrote, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they should call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Over the past month of Advent, here at our church, we have been focusing on many of the people that God used to bring about his plan of the Christ child being born. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the wise men, each experienced life-altering dilemmas that changed the trajectory of their lives. And they were faced with making hard decisions of how they would respond as God revealed to them His plan for Jesus. But there's one person, one person that we have not considered yet in our journey who faced, I believe, the greatest dilemma of all. Certainly, that would be Jesus himself. Long before there was a Christmas story, there was God. And Scripture tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that was made. Somewhere, wherever God dwells, before there was anything else that we're so familiar with in the universe, there was God. And Scripture says, with him was Jesus. Long before his birth and ministry on the earth, and everything that took place that God did, Jesus was there alongside part of creation as it unfolded 
before God and Jesus. Anything that was planned, formed, was done in the presence of Jesus. Now, I emphasize this so that we really get a sense about what it is that Jesus had. In the presence of God, he would witness the, uh, the Genesis account of mankind firsthand with creations of beauty and splendor and imagery in the likeness of God all the way to the evil side that seemed to consume, actually consume mankind, leading to the flood and the destruction of all that lived except for eight souls in an ark full of animals. He would witness the unfolding of the history of men as they would fight and kill one another. And the, then he would also witness the chosen people of God as they would rise up in victory in their faith and fall in defeat because of their unbelief. Eventually, the time would come as the fullness of all things was revealed and he knew that to save men from their downward spiral of destruction and fear of death, he, Jesus, would have to become a man. Jesus, God, in flesh, taking on the very attributes of humanity in his, in his humiliation. He would do all the things that we do and subject to all the things that we're subject to. Body, mind, feeling and emotion, pain and joy, physically and mentally. We just can't imagine what it was that, Je that Jesus gave up to become like a child, a baby, a man like us. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul gives us some great insights into Jesus' nature before he became a man, and why he came, and what he is like now. It says, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Here Paul explains the, the great humility that it took for Jesus to become that little baby in the manger. Even in the midst of a wicked world that acknowledges and sings about Christmas but doesn't believe. The plain fact is this. Jesus, the Christ, is God himself in human flesh. When Christ came as a child, it meant leaving all the comforts of heaven behind. He left all, all the glory of the eternal God and Christ that they shared in that glory. The baby lying in a manger wasn't just any child. It's God himself. The creator of all things in the form of a baby. Jesus laid aside all he had with the Father and became man. It was described as a bondservant. Actually, another word for that is slave. Jesus became a common slave. It's a familiar story that we've read and heard about in churches, in scenes, maybe in our own homes as we gather as a family and read from Luke 2. We're familiar with it. Listen to a retelling of the story of how it happened, maybe a little different from what we're used to, a little modern-day version of it that I borrowed from another pastor. It goes like this. The journey took many days. Quite possibly they were tired and, and thought about turning back several times. Of course, we're talking about Mary and Joseph as they're making this journey. But they had to keep moving. The time was almost here. 
The desert wilderness was cold and unforgiving. The winds whipped around the mountains this time of year and made it worse. The pathway was treacherous. But now, finally, they were here. Mary and Joseph had arrived in Bethlehem. The crowds were almost too much to take. The pushing, the crushing, the couple makes their way through the streets. Obviously, no planning had gone into making arrangements for when they got to their destination. Mary, by this time, doesn't feel very well. She really needs to just lie down and rest. And when you don't feel well, the last place you want to be is somewhere that is not home, somewhere foreign, somewhere so crowded, so unwelcoming, so they need to hurry. Not much time left. They stop at a small house on a hill overlooking the shepherd's field down below. The owner usually offers a bed and a meal for a reasonable price, and Joseph thinks he could stop and get one. He leaves Mary for a moment and goes to secure a place to stay. But when he returns, his face looks frustrated, almost in tears. He tells Mary that the inn is full. In fact, the whole town is full. There's no place to stay. There's no room. But he tells Mary that there, there's a stable out back in the house. To, maybe we can keep warm out there, and we're invited to stay there. Mary must have thought, well, it'll have to do. You know, that old innkeeper, he gets a bad rap. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Consider this. I mean, this place is not the Hilton. It's not even a, like a roadside inn. Is he supposed to kick someone else out? Probably only had a couple of small beds in the innkeeper's home that he rented out to help make ends meet. And first century houses were often just a room or maybe two of actual living quarters anyway. And the second and third room was attached to the house and used to house animals that were so much a part of their life. No one in the small town owned a ranch-style house like we may have or one of the nice big mansions around our neighborhood. The stable probably wasn't really out back that we interject into the story, but more likely a part of their home. So the innkeeper was possibly on some level bringing Mary and Joseph, these strangers, into his home. His, his home would become a part of the story. So Mary and Joseph entered the stable and surrounded by animals, tried to get some rest. They could hear the, still the crowded city outside, but at least it was warm. They could hear the Roman guards yelling, trying to shuffle people around as they tried to control the crowds. It made the place feel ever more foreign, ever more foreboding. But an unusual thing. Overhead was the brightest star they had ever seen. And it was as if the tiny little stable was bathed in light. So Mary laid down and closed her eyes, for she knew the time was almost here. She knew the baby was coming into the world. And on this night of nights, into a cold, dirty, Stable in a small town filled with yelling and pushing crowds into a place occupied by soldiers, into a place that did not feel like home, into a world that had no room, into a messy landscape. God comes. And heaven opens up. And into our little world, all of a sudden it's flooded with light and life. 
Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, takes on the form, the form of us, just ordinary human, a human like me and you to show us what it means to become like God. Yet he was fully God and fully human in one person, God incarnate. What a story. When you think about it, what a sacrifice. The greatest of the, the sacrifice would be that Jesus would leave all that he had and become what he became. He, he left the realm of all power all knowledge and presence for a world where he had to learn to walk as a little child and learn to talk. He increased in wisdom and stature, as Luke 2 would tell us, like other children, and yet he was far beyond them in their understanding. He was God who became man in flesh and had to, to bear the burdens of flesh. He would earn his living as a carpenter, work until he was 30 years old. He hungered where he had never hungered before. He tired and needed sleep, yet as God, he did not weary or sleep. He was tempted as all men. He wept and felt anguish of heart in the deep emotions of human spirit. He who was rich in every way imaginable chose to become poor. He chose to have less. He chose to be a nobody. But he came for one thing, the will of his Father. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus is being born in this lowly manger, sent on a mission to restore the relationship between God and man. The Christmas story is this, is this incredible love and pain and obedience. God loving you and me so much that Jesus came to be with us so that one day we would be able to have that right relationship with him with a cost. The Christmas story is about God loving us so much that he left the comforts of heaven to save us, to redeem us, and to rescue us, rescue us in spite of the cost to God and to Jesus himself. And herein is the real dilemma that Jesus would face. For during the Passover supper in the upper room, Jesus, he offered himself through the bread and the wine. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. And following the meal, he and his disciples left the house in Jerusalem and went across the Kidron Valley to a place on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, specifically known as Gethsemane. He goes there to pray, to spend time with his father that he had done on many occasions before in a place that he knew quite well. But he knows the consequence of what is about to happen. Prior to his capture, Jesus envisioned what was to come as a cup that he would have to drink. The, the goblet was filled with the wrath of God against all sin and its destructive and distorting power. Jesus, the Messiah would bear the weight of the world of sin upon his shoulders. His own soul is described as being crushed by the burden of our sin. Certainly not his, for 
for he had done none. And in Gethsemane, Jesus engaged spiritually the forsakenness of the cross that he knew that he would have to go and bear. He would be arrested and crucified. And he would acknowledge the sheer struggle of this impossible dilemma he faced by saying, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus, knowing all of this, would have to make a deliberate choice to move into the darkness and the despair and the death of bearing the sin of the world upon himself. Something that was so incredibly unfamiliar to him. Luke the beloved physician describes the physical effects of Jesus' suffering as he struggles to accept the cup obediently. He says, being in an agony, in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweats became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. This Jesus, this, this baby, now a man, was in extreme psychological contradiction his his pure and undefiled soul was being asked to accept his his own full extent human sin like an innocent lamb being led to a slaughter paul writes later he says he made him to be he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him I get this, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Certainly, Jesus knew he would lose his bodily life on the cross. But first, he would lose what was much more precious, the sense of his Father's good pleasure. He recoils what lies ahead. Any other man would have quit in despair. But Jesus, on his knees, on his face, still speaks the cry of a soul directly. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, get me out of this. Save me. Don't leave me. Do this another way. The horror is too much to bear. Ah, but take this cup from me. But that would not be the way it would go. For we find other scripture where Paul writes, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient the point of death, even death on the cross. He remained faithful to his mission. Jesus in Gethsemane accepted the punishment for all sin of all mankind by the death on the cross. His blood would be spilled from him in order to redeem us. Christ not only becomes a man in order to be the mediator between God and man, but he also willingly died for the benefit of mankind and that of great, God's great love for us. Jesus came, left the glory that he had with God the Father for the specific purpose of enabling you and me to be reconciled with God. He made it possible by paying price of for sins which we could not pay ourselves Jesus no longer the God man who is meek and mild we picture in lying in a major major but Jesus is the risen Savior who has had the former glory fully restored, and right now he sits at the presence at the right hand of God. The babe is no longer in a manger, 
He's now ex the exalted Christ, who is King of all kings and Lord of lords. And all, all, all will eventually submit to his authority. 1 John 4.10 reminds us this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He's shown this love by sending Jesus to take away my sin. The atoning sacrifice. He endured on the cross what we should have endured. He paid the ultimate price to save us, answering the great dilemma. For why, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for sinners. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The message of Christmas is our Savior has come. We, we have a Savior whose body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus was born to die in your place, in my place. He, he paid the penalty so that our sins could be forgiven. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. And in him and him alone we have the promise of eternal life and peace with God. And on this Christmas Eve, Amid the hustle and excitement and gatherings and cheer, we pause to be still for a few moments and remember what started in that lowly manger would lead to a rugged cross. come to this communion table let us be mindful to thank God that there is a Savior that our Savior has come and in a moment I'm going to invite you to be led around to the back of the sanctuary as one of our deacons will come and lead you to come around this way to this table you're welcome to come if you're, if you're not a member of our church it's an open communion for how could we close it to anyone who is a Christ follower and when you come to this table you will find a cup of juice with another cup of the bread underneath I invite you to take and eat the bread to remember his broken body and drink the juice as we remember his spilled blood to pay for our sins.
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through the world is spiritually dark so we need we need a light to navigate this spiritually dark world Christ Christ came to give a light Took it and he shared it. Light began to pass 
throughout the world.
for that night and the angels burst into the sky declaring majestically the Savior has been born bringing peace to all time of celebration, may we stop, continue to give our praise and our thoughts, all the blessings that you've given to us, because we've been able to have that peace Jesus brings into our hearts. Watch over our people, Father. We also pray for peace throughout the world, peace that only comes from you. And that peace is what we strive for. Thank you, Father. We love you and thank you for loving us. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. 